The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hello, welcome power. to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast preview show for round 13 versus Fremantle. Uh, it's a Saturday Twilight match at Domain Stadium in Perth. Um, that's going to be an interesting match. But um, biggest news, I suppose, this week coming up is that Rick has returned from his grand adventures around the world. How's it going, Rick? Woohoo! Porsche, how are you? Yeah, yeah, good, good. See, it's good to see you didn't come back with an affected American accent or anything. No, and I won't even try and put a fake one on because it will sound <laughs> really, really bad. But uh, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have blended because we went to the Philippines, we went to America. Yeah. We went to four four states in America. We went to London, and we spent time in Hong Kong and China. Um, so I don't, I don't know what accent I would walk away with, but um, it's great to be back. I, I've missed the podcast, and I tried to listen into as many shows as I could, but uh, got hard near the end there. Jet lag was oh, starting yeah. to uh, uh, catch up with me, but um, we're still about the same as when I left, just further yeah. on into the season. Yeah, I mean, I guess the fact that you're the same, we're the same as when you left it, but further into the season, that's kind of not necessarily a good thing because you know, obviously, less less games to make it up in. But uh, that's all right. We could we could still potentially make the finals, but I think that yeah, I, this is probably a longer term thing to look at. But anyway, so did you see any Port Adelaide fans when you're out and about around the world? Uh, did I see many Port Adelaide fans? Yeah. I only saw one. I saw okay. the diehard Lockhart Road. Uh, in Hong Kong, and that was a great experience. We, uh, I met him by the uh, the race course, uh, his local stomping ground, and uh, yeah, we 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 chatted port for four hours, much to uh, my lovely wife's disgust. Um, <laughs> I, I, th- I think she was ready to walk away from us, but uh, uh, I think we diverted conversation for five minutes about Hong Kong itself, and then went back to footy and. Uh, <laughs> And what's going on? Charlie Dixon's marks and yeah. coaches, and we, we solved all the problems. Oh, excellent! Well, I mean, Lockhart Road has got a, a history of doing that. For listeners that aren't necessarily regulars on Big Footy, he was quite involved in the China sponsorship negotiations, and I suppose he probably still is a little bit, at least in terms of setting them up. So um, it's good, and I guess he probably takes every opportunity to talk with a real Port fan whenever he can. So that's really nice. Well done. Good work. Yeah, no, it was great. It was he's a lovely guy and he's a passionate Port Adelaide supporter like most of us are. And uh yeah, it was really really enjoyable and uh yeah, and I thank you for you and Macca and everyone else that's been plugging along uh on Port Fan Radio while I've been gallivanting around the world. So uh thanks for everyone for the, the hard efforts and uh let's plow through and try and get us home to the finals. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see how it goes. But um yeah, all yes. right. Well, Look, we'll bounce into the hot topics. There's two Port Adelaide ones this week, so that's kind of nice. Um, the first one is Matthew White's one-year extension on his uh, current existing contract. Uh, Rick, how do you feel yeah. about that? How do I feel about it? I uh, How old is he now? 29. 29? Well, I, I think I actually uh, undervalued Matthew White's um, influence in the side. I, I always yeah. thought he was a bit of, you know, a bit of an inconsistent player, um, but yeah, he had a bit of leg speed. Um, but I think this year it, he, it's really shown how valuable his outside run 
and leg speed is because I guess it is a bit of an art form position, isn't it, to mm. know when to do it and know when to get the ball and, and where to run and uh, he does it very well and I think we, we've been a little bit deficient as a footy side without him in the side. So I think for his age and his injury, I think a one-year extension is quite reasonable. What do you think? Uh, look, there's been a bit of discussion on the board that I probably agree with that it's um, as much as anything it's salary cap management. So he's probably taking his whatever his one-year extension deal is just was probably less than he, what he was getting with his free agent year and then they're just averaging it over the two years or something like that. Um, so, yeah. you know, probably the real cost to us is probably not quite as large as it would appear. But, um, yeah, look, I'm happy with it. I think that we clearly don't have a... a a locked-in replacement for him in the side. Um, you could argue that we do with Montreux, and apparently he's been told that he's going to be playing for Port next year, so that's interesting. Um, but mm. you could you could say that Aaron Young's replaced him, but you certainly couldn't say that either Polek or Amon, for example, or even MP have replaced um, Matthew White and his importance to the side right now. So um, I think it's just you have to do that year extension. Yeah, I, I agree. We sort of don't have much choice at all, no. so... Um, so when was he? He was signed up to the end of what next year or this I year? Think, and... I think next year. I think I didn't look that up. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah. Um, so he was he he was signed up to the end of next year, and he signed another extra year. Yes, correct. He added a year yeah, until the so end of twenty seventeen. So actually, it was this year he was at, uh, done until. Okay, so he was out this year. Yeah, yeah so, so that's fair. Yeah, that's so, right. That's fine. So basically a one-year deal. So I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm happy for him to be on our list for another year. I, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think we have a replacement. And there's not many players like him in the AFL either, is there? He's a no. bit of a unique dude. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the other news this week is that Chad Wingard, I can't believe this has come up so quickly, Chad Wingard's about to play his 100th game for us. Uh, the Chad? Yeah. I, I, I can't believe it's been 100 games already, has it? That can't be right, surely. He has pumped the games in, hasn't he? Oh, and he he's has. He's been so consistent. Such an amazing player. Is is? Do you think he's a little bit off this year, or has he just got such a high standard that we judge him very highly? Uh look, I feel he. Oh, I feel he's probably been a little bit off, but I don't think. I mean, his his little bit off is still best. You know, fantastic forward. Uh, he's just playing. Yeah. I just don't think he's in all Australian form, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess the performance of the team inhibits him a little bit. Um, I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. But I, I agree. He hasn't been quite as good as he has in previous years. But I doubt. I'm sure that's only a short term thing. I guess. I guess is the logic. I guess my logic is. I don't feel like this year he's influencing games mm. for as long as what he normally does now. Like you said, he is a fantastic player and it's not a criticism on him because he's such a great player for such a young age. I I guess I'm just thinking, comparing his influence in previous seasons to this season and I was wondering, is it it maybe the head knocks? Is he a little bit worried, you know, with all the concussion talk that's around himself? Has he lost a little bit of confidence in his body there or, you know, is it just he's 22, pumped in 100 games, getting a lot of attention and he's still working his way through that? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the thing with um, Chad is that, like, you look at his goals average over his entire career, and it's a little bit under two goals a game, and that does that doesn't sound that impressive. But usually, in the past, what we've seen is those goals have come at extremely important times in the context of the game, like they've been real game turners or game breakers. Uh, and I, I agree, that's probably where we're missing his impact, and that he's getting the regular goals, but he's not having quite that same 
devastation that he certainly did in his earlier years. Um, but that's, again, probably a temporary thing to do with how the side's lining up and not making enough uh, possibility for him to get a bit of space and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how was it Was it Treadray or Corns that wrote an article a couple of weeks ago saying that he'll be like Port or Port Adelaide AFL's team's all-time best player? Uh, I don't know who it was, but I guess it's possible. He, he's... Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Like he's gonna yeah. have to. He's gonna have to. He's look as good as Chad's been. He's gonna have to work really hard to beat Warren Treadray. Um, he's gonna have to be really, really instrumental to the side to beat Warren Treadray. And like, he's playing extremely well for the type of player he is. But if I was picking between Chad Wingard or an eighteen, nineteen-year-old Warren Treadray, I'd pick Warren every week. I don't know, or twenty-year-old, mm. or twenty-one, or twenty-two-year-old Warren Treadray. Yeah, he's got. Yeah. You know, I think it'd take a lot to justify that title. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. I mean, it's still a long way out. He's probably mm. what got ten more years in front of him. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the ten years. He's amazing, oh, yeah. and uh, I'm interested to see if he transitions into the into the midfield sooner rather than oh, later. God, I hope so. Yeah. Well, I hope he sort of becomes that Brent Harvey type for us, where he plays a billion games and everyone just goes, "Oh, he always kicks goals against us." Um, you know that 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 kind of really consistent, really damaging role that he's usually played. So, hopefully, that's what we see from Chad, and it'll be really good. I expect we probably will. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for the Chad. 100 games. Shame it's not here. Really. Yeah. Really good to have had it had it at home. Yeah, but Fremantle's one of the sides he usually does pretty well against. I think he's got, uh, for them, actually a two-goal average um, against them, uh, which is above his average. I think any team he's got a better average against would probably be Adelaide. Um, so it's just, it's a pretty good pretty good option for him. He does have a bit of history of shutting them down, so that's good. Yeah. All right, well, look, we'll move hey, into... Uh, oh, sorry, you got something? I just want to... I just... Yeah, I do have something. Oh, I, oh. Um, I'm going to spoil your run sheet. Do, is, do you think Jay Shields... Jay Shields uh, is a hot topic? Well, I mean, or you want to talk about him later? Uh, look, I don't mind. We're either going to discuss him as part of this or we'll have a, or we'll have a very shallow magpie segment because I don't have a lot to say about that one. But yeah, Chad, uh, Jay Shields coming back is pretty good. Um, he's uh, coming back through the magpies, so that'll be a pleasant surprise for people that get down to the magpies game. On paper, it's one of the best sides we've had, I think, uh, in this new reformed club. So uh, hopefully... At Norlunga, I guess that's the thing, it's at Norlunga. Who wants to go to Norlunga? But anyway, um, mm. yeah, hopefully he can come back and, I don't know, it'd be interesting. The fact that he's playing means he hasn't given up on playing again next year, so that's really interesting. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to take out of it. What do you think, Rick? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think he obviously wants to play next year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how salary cap payments work these days. Like, I guess, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was a small base and uh, a lot of income based on games played. I don't, I don't know if they still have that same sort of structure anymore or not. I, I think the top tier don't. They're just on a salary, so to speak, and whatever. But, you know, I guess it's his livelihood and he's got a passion to, to play. It doesn't make sense if he was going to retire at the end of this year um, to be playing. And risk injuring his back and you know his quality of life and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. I think you're right. It's a logical a logical assumption to think. Well, he wants to get back and play and and be playing next year. And would you like him playing on next year? Um, well, given the complete 
And again, this is something we'll discuss a bit later, but given the complete failure that John Butch has turned out to be this season, I wouldn't be against keeping Jay Schultz on another year. Um, yeah. Because we and, won't, yeah, we've, we've yeah. only got Dixon right now and maybe a bit mm. of Dougal Howard and he won't be ready to do much next year. So, yeah, I wouldn't, and, and in that circumstance. And let's face the facts... Um, Jay Shields was never going to take a plane and uh, and fly to Perth to play Frio coming off a, a bulge disc or, or whatever it was. I think some people were optimistic yeah. there thinking he was going to play this week. Um, I would have been very disappointed with the match committee and the medical staff if they <laughs> if they picked him this week and flew him to Perth. Um, so I think it's a logical thing because we have the bye next week as well, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do, yes. Yeah, so you can run for the Maggies. You know, you've got the bye next week. He, uh, I guess he can always back it up with another game with the Maggies if he needs to, if we've got a game. And uh, and then he should be good to go when we come back against Richmond. So uh, I'm very excited. I think Charlie Dixon will be very excited to have Jay Shields back in the side as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that I guess in a way it's a real shame he's not doing that this week against a fairly substandard side because now just after Charlie Dixon's worked out how to play in the Port Adelaide side, he'll have to relearn it again. Um, with shorts coming back in. So that'll probably cause a bit of a hiccup and it would be nice to resolve that against a shit side. But I guess we'll see how it goes. <laughs> in theory, in theory, he could come back and it could be work perfectly and I hope it, that certainly is what happens. Hmm. Awesome. All right, well, I won't derail the run sheet anymore. Oh, of course you well, will, but maybe it'll be a bit later. That's, so, uh, that's, <laughs> we'll move... that's a lie. Yeah, yeah. So look, we'll move on to the, uh, as part of the 20th season celebrations we're doing this year, it's 20th season for Port Adelaide in the AFL. Um, we'll talk briefly about the first time they met, which was uh, in round 13, 28th of June 1997 at Football Park. Uh, Port Adelaide, 10 goals, 9-69, defeated Fremantle, 7 goals, 12-54. Um, this was a... I, I, look, I felt this was a really a match that we needed to win at the time. Um, we had a lot of people saying that Port were going to be terrible, basically on the back of how terrible Fremantle were for the two years preceding our entry. Uh, and the fact that we came out and we beat them first up, a uh, 15-point win in the end, uh, that was really pretty nice to see. Uh, do you have any memories of that game at all, Rick? No. <laughs> Good one, Rick. I've got, to, I've got to be honest. Oh, no. Do you know, if, I must have, I must, my brain must be full of crap that mm-hmm. it, I must chuck, it must be FIFO method for me. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I was there. Um, but, uh, yeah, do you know which game I do remember? And which? I guess I'm throwing off the run sheet. The one that I remember, which I, if I wanted to cry, yeah. was when we lost to Frio at Footy Park in 2000. Oh, now I don't remember that one. Do you, don't you remember that one? I was in we, Adelaide at the time, we were, so. Uh, we were putrid. I think we lost we lost like eleven in a row in that in that streak. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it was the the crowd was just horrible, and where our system that's when we were trying to play that possession system and yep, getting yep. used to the new format from Choco, and um, yeah, and we were just rank, and uh, it was just like. You know, people were bailing and so I decided to go to the footy mall because everyone was jumping off and I thought, because I'm a rebel, I have to do the opposite to what everyone else does. And, uh, yeah, but that, that was probably my lasting imprint um, of Frio was that game. But anyway, that's got nothing to do with the first time <laughs> they meet in 1997. It was a great game. I was, I, I was overjoyed by that victory. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just to go through the game quickly, the first quarter was a shootout. Uh, Port kicked five goals to four. Uh, and then after that point, the game really closed down. It was a very low-scoring match. There was, we only kicked another five goals for the game. Um, three goals, four to one, three in the final quarter. Uh, Scott Cummings kicked three. Heaver and Wilson kicked two. Uh, Nathan Eagleton kicked one goal, five points, which I think that was almost the seed of Port is inaccurate in front of goal because that was a real thing in the 90s for us that so we were really upset about how inaccurate we were. Um Michael Wilson, I think this is probably the game that got him the rising star win in 1997. He finished the game with 32 possessions. Uh, He came away with the three Brownland votes in the end, and he was just everywhere and did everything, and he was clearly the best on ground. Um, And I think that that's probably, you know, for Michael Wilson, probably might have even been his best game in his career, arguably. Um, Yeah. He was one of my favourite players, Michael Wilson. Oh, I think he was pretty much everyone's favourite player, wasn't he? He just managed yeah. to get. He managed to get away with so much. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, so he was such a courageous footballer. Uh, he was, and he was, and he was, he was acceptably dirty. So he'd still, you know, he, you'd always see if you watch the, back on the video, and other people would miss it, like the commentators would miss it because they weren't watching Port fans, Port, Port, Port players properly. You know, the elbows and the the, punt, the sly punches in the packs and all that sort of stuff, and lots of little nasty niggle stuff. But then he just was so accountable all the time as well. And, you know, I guess mm-hmm. the real combination for Wilbur was in 2004 when he kept playing even though he couldn't lift his arms above his head. He was just so yeah. tough. He was so Port Adelaide, really, at the end of the day. Um, Michael Wilson, absolutely. I think I think if you're talking about uh, best ever, I guess Michael Wilson would rank right up there for the most Port Adelaide ever, If honestly, I'd say. I, I think it'd be hard He's- to beat him. This is a little, I know this is a way, way in a future big call, but do you see a little bit of Michael Wilson in uh, Darcy Byrne-Jones with his aggression and attack at the ball? Yeah, yeah. Look, there is a lot of similarity. Um, I guess the main asset that Michael Wilson had is I think he was a bit more nuggety, had a bit more strength, but I guess everyone in those days probably did as well. So that might be a bit of a, a perception that wouldn't hold up if there was a young Michael Wilson playing today. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I think you're pretty right. I think he's got the same sort of attitude on the field. He's not shy. He doesn't. He, he's prepared to get hurt to do the thing that he needs to do. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a fair call, and I, I think that he'll hopefully develop into exactly that same side of player uh, at the end of the day. Um, I think I think he is different to Pittard, and I think you're probably right in comparing him to Michael Wilson. Yeah, and I I think the one thing you are right that I do remember is when you know back in 1997. It, we were compared to Frio and we weren't expected to win any games whatsoever. Mm. Uh, I, I do remember that being uh, part of a synonymous with us. And I mean, what we end up banking in that in that first season, was it 10 wins, 11 wins? Uh, I think it was um, oh, 11, I think, from memory. We yeah, missed on percentage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we had a great first season and... And we proved that you, you don't need to suck straight away uh, to get good, but uh, we all knew that was going to happen anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's the interesting thing is that when you look at you know Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney, they both followed the Freo model more than the Port Adelaide model, but didn't work mm. for Gold Coast and did for GWS, so who knows? <laughs> but there weren't, there weren't <laughs> heaps of mature players coming into either side. So I guess that even though it worked for us, they didn't rate their chances of doing the same. So I guess that makes us almost unique for the entry uh, clubs to the AFL. So that, that's, I suppose, a nice little thing. Yeah. And it's good to see that our inaccurate goal kicking back in 1997 has still continued on until this day. <laughs> 
It's amazing how these things follow you, isn't it? Like a lot of the complaints, if you go back, I reckon the early days of Big Footy, you put Adelaide on Big Footy, if you go through, I suppose, Macca's early posts and the port board and all that stuff, you'll see so much stuff that probably still applies today. Um, and I guess that might even mean that it, either that it's Port Adelaide stuff or that it's just stuff that happens at every club. So every club, I think, at some time has felt they've been horribly inaccurate. And I guess we're just back to that point for ourselves again. Because there was that period under Choco when we were extremely accurate and we were just punishing sides. So, um, yeah. Mm. I guess it's like swings and roundabouts, Rick. Swings and roundabouts. But, uh, it is swings and roundabouts. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll move on to the last time they met, which I hope you do remember a little bit, Rick. Uh, which was uh, I round, good round twenty three, fifth of September two thousand and fifteen at Adelaide Oval. It was the last game uh, because it was the last game of the year. It was a free air game where they rested a bunch of players and didn't take it seriously. Um, Port Adelaide won eighteen goals fourteen one hundred twenty two over Fremantle eight goals five fifty three. That's a sixty nine point final margin. Um, interestingly, Frio led four goals to one at quarter time, um, but then Port had an eight goal second quarter in which Frio did not score. Uh, Westhoff and Schultz exploded, and in the second half, Port out scored Freo nine goals to four. Look, it wasn't a great match, I don't think, Rick. Um, and Freo obviously weren't taking it all that seriously, but I guess given their performance in the uh, prelim final against uh, Hawthorne, maybe they should have tried a little bit harder to maintain their winning form and their winning side. What do you think? Mm, I guess it was it was a hard game for me. Like you, it's hard to keep that same interest when it's a dead rubber. Mm. You know, we we couldn't make the uh, we couldn't make the finals. No, and uh, you you sort of knew that yeah, Frio weren't going to come to deliver, were they? But I guess at the end of the day, you know, the crowd was happy. We went out with a bang, and uh, it was a complete domination. And um, yeah, I was hoping that this game would provide a springboard for us into the 2016 uh, uh, season, and. Uh, I guess it's the same the same old names, isn't it? You know, Schultz, Gray, Westhoff. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And uh, interesting. Let, don't let me. Um, I don't want to bring it up now because it's off topic. Funny enough, but um, <laughs> when we talk about the, the teams, I'd like to remind me about our midfield age um, thing that I posted up during the week, and I want to see if uh, you agree with me or not. Yeah, no, I think yeah. I saw that one. Yeah, I do. But anyway, we'll continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, uh, the names were pretty much the similar. Uh, I guess this was still we were still in the honeymoon period for Sam Gray. Uh, he came out it's with two Brownlow votes, and he played another excellent performance. Um, that was enough, I suppose, with his other performances for me to put a dollar on him for the Brownlow this year. But I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah. Yeah. Uh, look, it was a really good effort by our defence, although obviously Freo weren't really in it. Um, even Lobby, we broke pretty even in the rucks, but Lobby had 15 touches, which probably, I guess, to some extent, speaks about how much pressure there was in the game. I don't think there was really too much. Um, but it was really yeah. just good to come away with a win. And, you know, if you can get a win against Fremantle um, at any time, it gives you a little bit of psychological edge the next time you play them. So here we are. This is the next time we play them, and you'd hope that uh, we've got that edge now, particularly given the form of the respective sides and the fact that we have won in Melbourne, uh, sorry, in Perth a number of times uh, against them. So... Uh, Interesting to see how we go. But, uh, now, I remember just... the days when Frio were our bitches. Yeah, right? They were great. <laughs> they were great. I remember the days when nearly every team was our bitch. It was, it was a good time. Oh, yeah. It, look, it would have been better if we'd had it at the Premiership earlier in that sequence. Like, honestly, if we'd won the Premiership in 2004, 
and then not won in two. Oh, sorry, if we won the premiership in two thousand and two and then not won in two thousand and four, I think we'd all look back on that era much more fondly, because mm. we wouldn't have had like for me two thousand and three and two thousand and four really as much as we were doing well in the regular season. It was we just had so much to prove, and it was not as enjoyable as it should have been for following a team in that position. Um, but if you win that premiership early, oh. I mean, it's like being a Hawthorne fan. You just go, oh, cool, we got a premiership. So what do we do now as a bonus? Sweet. <laughs> it's uh, that. I gotta say, after three years, the choking tag was really oh, yeah. starting to grate on me. Yeah, it, uh, and half and half the time, you know, we had Crow supporters labelling us as chokers, and it was like, no, nah, that really wasn't a choke. You know, when you when you lose by ten goals, yeah, I I think that's just losing. It's not choking, but you know, if I guess if it's if it's good, you just stick with it, don't you? But yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can uh, pump them and get another win this week and. Yeah, and hopefully Sam Gray can come back to his uh, Brownlow medal form for you, Portia. Yeah, well, I mean, he has been playing well since his return to the side after a fairly early, uh, ordinary start, I thought, uh, which I guess the coaches did too because he got dropped. But uh, yeah, so anyway, to this week's side, there's only one change and it's caused a few melts on the board. Um, but I think it's probably really a, a bit of a like-for-like like, like swap, really. Uh, and I don't think I think it's one that's kind of hard to argue with. Um, Carl why, why has there been... Why has there been melts on the board? Ah, because they're anti Carl Amon, and it's a double standard ah. because they're all super like got to drop Amon after he got run down that time, but equally justifying that Polek shouldn't be dropped for getting his pants pulled down down by Jake Stringer in the last quarter. So I I don't know I don't get it. Um, I think they've both been if you look at their comparative performances here they've been pretty comparable for the most part. Jared Pollack probably does have a slight edge, but he's two years older than Amon, and he should be much more consistent than he is, even given that he's returning from injury, um, and he needs to be doing more work, apart from just sort of, you know, Rowan smithing it in loose places and hoping to get the ball. Um, so I think it's a, it's a like-for-like swap, uh, and there's a few melts on the board, but I, I think that, look, honestly, I don't think the matchup mattered too much, so if they're using this week, like, I, I don't think there's a huge loss. Uh, by dropping Pollock and including Amon. So if that's what the coach wants to do to sort of drive a message home that, hey, you do need to be accountable at all times at the top level, then, yeah, it's probably worth doing. Um, well, Pollock yeah. was pretty putrid last week, really. Look, he's been pretty, he's been cheating for a while. Like, he's over a quarter. Like, usually his starts of games have been kind of weak, um, and then he gets a rocket or something like that, and then he comes in and puts in a bit more and gets a bit closer to the contest and all that sort of thing. It feels like he's just not wanting to do what he's required to do. And, I mean, that's exactly the sort of thing you do drop someone for rather than if they're trying really hard and it's not coming off, which is what people wanted to drop need for a lot of times. Um, but if it's just that you don't think the endeavour's there, then that's absolutely when you need to sort of, sort of look at the selection as disciplining, and I think that's where we're at. But, you well, know, he's... Well, he's, his, his performance against Stringer in the last quarter is... Is he at fault for that? Is the, are the coaches at fault for that? Where, where do you, do you is it the the senior leaders out on the field? Is who's really accountable for that? Well, I mean that's really I think it's something we discussed in the review. Which I mean my view on it is that if you're the coach and the coaches are making it pretty clear at this point that it's the case, but if you're the coach and you expect every player to have a certain level of accountability, and the player you put on a matchup doesn't have doesn't perform to that level of accountability. Is that a coaching failure? Like, should you be coaching expecting Polak to be unaccountable, or should you be expecting him to be un- expecting him to be accountable uh, as you had for the rest of the game? Because you know, if he was playing like that the whole game and he just didn't get exposed, which I saw happens with Polak a lot, 
um, then maybe there's a problem with the game. And that's more than just a one-quarter problem. Um, mm. So I, 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 don't, I think, you know, if you're being pragmatic, if you're saying, okay, we reckon Polak probably won't do what he needs to do, that's a really negative mindset for a coach to have if they're expecting a player to develop and get better. Um, mm. In a way, denying that matchup is kind of would be Ken saying, I have no faith in you to do what you should be able to do. So... I don't know. It's tough to say. I think that I think if you're gonna if you have to scapegoat someone, you kind of have to scapegoat the player on that because he can and should play better than that. He's got awareness, mm. you know. Yeah, I mean, he he just sort of faded off, didn't he? And yeah, uh, yeah I can I can see why he got dropped. To be honest, and I agree with you. I I don't see the problem with Amon coming back in. I mean. If you replaced him with who Archie, it's not really like for like, is it? And no, uh, a different not. type of player, miss, missing a bit of outside run and carry with the ball. Uh, even though Archie can handball as long as a kick, but it's not the point. Um, and I guess Jimmy Tumpas probably hasn't done enough to drive his way back in the side yet, has he? Yeah, and also playing in Perth. I mean, there's plenty of room to run out in Perth, and I guess that's probably what. Has, gives aim on the edge over the other names you mentioned there and that he's going to have an opportunity to play that outside role and, you know, gain a lot of metres, you'd expect. So, especially against a side that's really not at its best. So, I guess we'll see. The proof will be in the pudding. Um, but I don't think it's a selection that actually makes that big a difference either way, to be honest. Um, now, just on so three is, I'm on the new... Whip, I was going to say, is Amon the new whipping boy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is. He, he pretty much is, Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah. I'm going to have to adopt him like I did um, Jasper until I won people over with Jasper. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, go on. It'll help. <laughs> All right. I'll, uh, I'll take I'll take Carl under my wing and, and turn him into a superstar like I, uh, I did Jasper Pittard. Good work. You do that. Um... Awesome. All right. All right, now moving on to the Fremantle changes. Has anyone changed this week? And it's the return of Matthew Pavlich. Uh, how oh. this out? So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they... I don't know. If I was Matthew Pavlich and I saw how Freo were going, like, do you really want to be playing again at this point? Or do you just say, oh, this is my retirement game. See you guys. It's, it's really... Oh, he's, he's probably thinking Logan Austin, short Port Adelaide team... I should be good for banging in seven or eight goals here and uh, bow out in style. Well, I mean, speaking about that matchup, I mean, we've already seen that Logan Austin's kind of ended uh, Cloak's career, but not really, but kind of did. Could he end two careers <laughs> in three games? <laughs> he, he ended Cloak's career. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big call. Oh, yeah, um, I know. But it's good to make big calls I... about third game players. <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's um, look. It would be it would be even though Pavlich is an aging star. Mm. Um, if Logan Austin can keep Pavlich to uh, a couple of goals, uh, I think that's a great result for us and for Logan because uh, uh, he's a, you know Matthew's obviously going to be a wise player and and use that against uh, Logan. So uh, yeah. it'll be really interesting to see. Look, I mean, I kind of think if we're talking, if we're looking at this game at having some development aspects, I mean, that's a perfect. This is right now. This is a perfect matchup for Austin to go on Pavlich because he's going up against a player that has a lot of experience, but that he might have an edge on athletically. So youth might get him the win, but he's going to have to be focused the whole game. He's going to have to use his brain. He'll learn where the good key forwards lead and how they play and the tricks they have, 
uh, AFL level, mm. so he'll get to see all of that from a, a player that really, I mean, he's a, one of those guys that's going to be a definite Hall of, AFL Hall of Fame inclusion, Matthew Pavlich. Um, there's no doubt about that. And so he'll be learning playing against one of the best players that he'll play against in his career. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it would be a perfect matchup for him and a perfect time when Pavlich doesn't have a very good support system around him. So, yeah. And it actually makes the game a little bit more exciting for us, doesn't it? I know, right? I mean, that becomes really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does. (laughs) I mean, mean, that's what the season really is now for us, seeing some of these younger players, how Mm. they develop, how they handle themselves at AFL level. Um, obviously, we're not going to be a, a grand final contender this year, and uh, I know I'm a pessimist. I apologise, people, but uh, uh, I think that's a fair call. So, you know, I'm enjoying watching Darcy Byrne Jones. I'm enjoying watching uh, the Logan Austins, and uh, yeah, do we have the balance right? Do are we carrying one too many, like with Paul Stewart and O'Shea? Um, should we have another younger player there, or do you think you know it's about right as it is? Um, well, I mean, if you look at the emergencies name this week, it's Sam Cahoon, Brendan Archie and Jimmy Tompas. I don't think any of them have really demanded inclusion at this point. Um, mm. you, could, you could certainly, I mean, I think in a game like this, you could certainly have potentially dropped one of Stuart or O'Shea, but I guess the thing with doing that is if you drop one of them and then there's the buy, um, neither of them get up to speed very quickly when they're re-included after a breakaway. So I guess you'd lose that on the on the return match. So if they were thinking of bringing back Paul Stewart and O'Shea after a couple of weeks, then that might not work out all that well, given how yeah. slow they tend to be to get the pace back. But yeah, you certainly it's a fair point. We might have a few too many defenders, but if we have a few too many defenders, we can still win because we've got an attacking defence. So we'll see how it goes. So how's the uh, Spreaker chat? Do we actually have anyone listening to us tonight or is yeah, it uh, tumbleweeds? I did forget to post the uh, afternoon thread uh, saying, hey, we've got the podcast tonight, so we might have a few fewer listeners than we usually would. In particular, I suppose, coming up against Freeman on a game that we all expect to win and that we kind of maybe isn't all that important as it was two or three weeks ago. Um, I don't know. We haven't got any questions coming in as yet, but that's okay. Uh, I thought my buddy Ryan might have been around uh, wanting to hear hear some uh, answers from me. He's missed me, apparently. So uh, if you're okay. out there, Ryan, send me a question. I haven't seen Ryan want, commenting yet, but... Uh, oh, I, want, I want some loving. Um, so who are your key matchups for this week? My key matchups? Well, I don't normally name them because I don't normally have them. Um, let's see... Look, Dixon should get away. I mean, I guess it's the key matchups. It's not. I'm not talking about the close ones, but the ones I think we can win pretty cleanly. Um, I don't think they've got anyone that can match Charlie Dixon in the form he's been in, as much as he was a bit poor in marking last week. If we if we have freedom to move through the midfield and forward, um, I think we'll have enough control or supply to get it to his advantage um, pretty much every time. Mm. I, I don't really rate the Freo defenders. Um, they're nothing amazing at this point. Um, so I'd say that Charlie Dixon's probably a big one. If he gets Zach Dawson, I mean, he's just going to out everything him, really. Uh, Is Zach Dawson going to punch Charlie Dixon in the head, you reckon? Do you think he's got the courage to do that? Uh, look, I mean, there's one thing you can't say about Zach Dawson. You can't say he doesn't cop his knocks. I mean, I still remember when he was playing those first games, what was it, for Hawthorne? Uh, and he was just getting completely destroyed every week, and he was still being selected every week, and he was kept getting destroyed. But he, he played through a lot of really tough contests, and he's managed to forge an AFL career after 
what I guess any neutral would have said was a pretty dismal start. So I don't think you can have a go at Dak Dawson for determination. I think he's always been pretty good on that count. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, I guess apart from that, Taberner, um, he's pretty decent. Uh, I guess the one that all the Port fans will be watching, given all the hype around, you know, we should get him, we should get him, is Lockie Neal uh, in the centre. Um, he's been having a pretty good season, and uh, there's been some rumours that he might be interested in heading back to Adelaide, and that we at Port Adelaide should potentially target him. So that, uh, mm. I guess, keep an eye out for that. I kind of feel we'd need to make a lot of list changes to make that worthwhile, but maybe. Who knows? Do you have any thoughts Is on that? Eric? So how... How old's Lockie Neal? Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but he's not that old. He's primarily. I reckon he's twenty. I reckon he's twenty-two. Yeah, about. I think that. I read in the art. Yeah, I guess that segues into what I mentioned on the on the boards, which I wanted to talk about. Um, is I reckon we've got one of our problems is we've got a gap in our age bracket in the midfield. Uh, that was sort of one of my takeaways from watching the game on the weekend. So, you know, we've got our, our ageing stars in, in Robbie Gray and uh, Travis Boak, um, you know, who are our, uh, two of our prime movers in the midfield. And then we've got uh, Ollie Wines, who's, what, 21 um, at the lower end. And we're really missing that mid-range um, player, like the 24 through to 26 that's consistently rotating through the midfield and influencing our, our midfield at the stoppages. If we compare it to the best, like your Sydney and Hawthorns, you've got all those age bracketeers going in there and having a real influence. And I guess for me, that's our Matthew Broadbent and Hamish Hartlett um, and Brad Ebert type players. And they don't seem to have that same consistency that the... Uh, uh, the top tier players do in that age bracket. Do you, so you said you've noticed that comment. Is that something you agree with um, with us? And is that maybe part of our problem in the midfield at the moment? Um, I don't know if that's part of the problem, but it's. I think it's certainly part of a problem with our list management. Um, and it's one of the. I guess it's sort of one of the reasons why I'm a little bit against trading out, for example, picks to get someone like Lockie Neal which is that if you get lucky in right now, absolutely it plugs a hole. But I think people underrate how valuable it is to have players that are good midfielders is the fact that they still have good games when they're 18 until they're 23 as well. Like, Lucky Neal hasn't come out of nowhere. He's been playing pretty well the whole time. And you look at someone like Ollie Wines, I mean, mm. he was good from day one. Uh, and so we talk about the draft being a, a crapshoot. And to some extent it is, but it's the only way you get players that are literally a 12-year player for your side that you can lock into the 22 and get that full benefit out of. Um, you know, when you trade for Charlie Dixon, he's how many years is he going to play? Maybe five, maybe six? Whereas if you uh, draft six. him straight away, you'll get 10 or 11. Yeah. Uh, and that makes a big difference when you're looking at trying to build a side full of players that maybe can peak together or at least be in good form together. Because um, when you keep trading in players that are very much mid-age and not young, um that can catch up with you fairly quickly. I think Lockie Neal is probably just young enough that you could get away with it. Um, but mm. given we've just done big trades the last two years, we don't have a lot to work with unless we trade out players as well, which we could certainly do. Um, could you could you argue, though, that we haven't really missed too much with Charlie Dixon until this year in relation to his output in the AFL? And now we're sort of getting him at his peak uh, performance age? 
Yeah, but that understates how valuable he would have been in other years, even playing at a lower level. Because we had, let's say we added Charlie Dixon to Jay Schultz right now. Um, Jay Schultz would have loved that relief. Even if Charlie Dixon was a one-game-a-goal alternate target, one one goal a game alternate target. I mean, that would be a huge benefit for the Port Adelaide forward line over the last two or three years. I think there's no doubt about it. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. Um, I think I think mm. I think there's value in those rookie games. Like there's value in Logan Austin's games right now. Um, we can't rely on him necessarily to take on the star players in the competition and win. But he's still filling a role on our side, and he's learning at the same time. And in five years, he'll be a peak player, but we'll have still already got five years out of him in a key position role. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really a, certainly part of what I hope our list managers are looking at as well, is just that the, if we've got that gap in midfield, and we've got that gap in midfield because we had a couple of years of really ordinary draft or really unspecific drafting. So if you take, for example, a 2008 draft where we had a bunch of players picked, we picked... Jackson Trangove, Jason Davenport, in no particular order, uh, Hamish Hartlett, Mitch Banner, Matthew Broadbent, Jared Redden, Glenn Dawson, which is just a general hodgepodge of players. And if you're looking for genuine midfielders, I guess it's Hamish, and that's it. Uh, 2007, mm-hmm. I think our only notable pick was probably Matthew Lobby from memory. Uh, in 2009, I don't think we did anything all that special either. Uh, and that's those are the players you're talking about there, is that gap in our midfield that hopefully would be coming right into their prime right now. Um, and I think that's probably where we're missing out a little bit. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. We really need Broadbent and uh, Hamish, I think, to step up in the midfield rotations. And it was interesting that I noticed someone said behind they were sitting behind the interchange bench last week, and uh, and Hamish was trying to hide on the uh, on the pine a fair bit during the game. So okay, uh, yeah. There's there seems to be uh, for me there's with those sort of like Eber, Westoff, Broadbent, Hamish. Um, you know, there's a lot more questions than answers to to their game at the moment. I think Ebert's sort of coming good with that closer checking sort of role that they've been playing him uh, recently. Um, but yeah, I just I just seem to question the inconsistency of those players in our side and and uh, what what effect it's having overall to the team. Well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you don't you really shouldn't recruit half backs and half forwards and hope they're going to become genuine centre square midfielders. Like You just shouldn't do that. Occasionally they will, but most of the time they won't. Uh, it catches you out. And just looking, I'll just bring up the 2009 AFL draft, just because I mentioned it before. Uh, that was the draft in which we picked Matthew Lobby, Marlon Motlop, Matthew Westoff and Mitch Farmer. Um, <laughs> which, that's, mm. that's not a great one. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mm, we, had no, about, really. we had about four years of fairly ordinary drafts. Uh, 2010 AFL draft is probably another corker, I would say. So that's, we've really sown the seeds of our own demise in that regard uh, as far as midfield because we just picked generic flankers so much. Um, yeah. Ben Jacobs was 20, 2010. That was the Ben Jacobs draft, uh, which obviously worked out really well. Um, <laughs> we, yeah. And then 2011, or 2011 was probably the good one for us. But, uh, mm. Mm. Anyway, I digressed, yeah. but that yeah, was my sorry. question. <laughs> I let you. It's my fault. So I'll, I'll cop that one. Um, okay. Excellent. Oh, sorry. Yeah, lobby was 2007, not 2009. Anyway, uh, moving on, just going uh, areas of the ground. Um, rucks, I think that this is probably the most comfortable I will probably be this season for our ruck matchup. Um, Zach Clark is Zach Clark. 
and I don't think they'll... Um, there's a chance we might even win Ruck, I feel, because I really don't rate Zach Clark at all. Um, he's got he's he's okay, but I think that against someone that shows genuine tenacity at the contest uh, in Jackson Trengo, I think that he can be very much exposed. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes, but I think that's one where we can at least break even. Um, how do you see that mm. one, Rick? Yeah, I reckon uh, Jackson will be going all right. I think he'd be quite excited by this matchup that he's. Uh, um, yeah, I think his aggression might influence Zach Clark as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Maybe we will do worse in the midfield, though, if we our midfielders expect to actually win some rock, rock contest because uh, they might become a little bit unaccountable. Well, it really depends on how we're winning the rock contest. Like, if we're not winning the hit-outs and we're just winning them the way we have been, then there's no change to usual business. It just means we'll probably be more successful at doing it. Um, mm. Midfield, look, I'm feeling pretty confident in us. Lockie Neal's obviously been a bit of a clearance machine this year, uh, but I think we're travelling all right at the moment in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see how we go. Um, and around the ground, look, Freo are probably where they are right now for a reason, that is because they've just been fairly ordinary and they haven't been playing all that mm. well. And Ross Lyon hasn't managed to balance his world-class defence with an attack, so... Oh, it's one, it's one of those games that makes me nervous because on paper we should really win this one pretty easily, but it's in Perth. Freo are probably going to go all out because I think they've got the buy as well next week, so they're going to be interested in doing that. I think they've got the buy next week. Double check. They're uh, they're they're tanking, aren't they? Well, yeah, but even when you're tanking, you can still win a couple of games. Like every tank, there's no tanking team that's won zero games, is there? So. Um, yeah, and it would be nice for them to win before a bye because then they've got those two weeks off with a win under their belts where they don't have to cop shit from their fans for a moment. Um, mm. Oh, no, they haven't got the bye this next week, so they'll be playing for real. I guess the other thing that really works in our favour is the fact that Fremantle played in Brisbane last week. So the um, that's yeah. the longest leg in the AFL, is that Brisbane to Perth trip. So hopefully maybe mm. that gives us a bit of a, a small advantage there because it's still only, a, I think, a seven-day break for them. Um, yeah, well, if our theory... If our theory is that we like playing on the wider ovals, you you think this is going to really play into our hands? Um, you know, we're we're not playing poorly. We we just seem to want to lose rather than win more than anything, especially in the big game. So uh, I would assume, true to our form, we'll probably come out and pump Frio this this week because they've got a lot less um, to play for. Yeah. I, uh... I think that in a way they've got more to play for because they're just sort of playing for pride and we are sort of in a in a nether, in a nowhere space sort of like, oh, maybe we can't make finals anymore, maybe it's too hard. Um, I guess we'll see on the day. Well, it's one of those games I think we'll know in the first five minutes whether we're serious or not and we'll know from mm. there. So I guess keep your betting apps, betting apps handy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, just a couple of other qu- quick ones. Just the game in general. Uh, Ross Lyon is coach. Should we be worried about him? I suspect we shouldn't. We've kind of broken even, won three, lost four, but there's been three games in Adelaide and four in Perth. So overall, basically evens. And with three on the four, mm. I don't know. I think we probably have to have to say we've got the psychological advantage as well. There's no denying the fact that Freya would be going to this game as underdogs. Um, I don't know. Do you, can you think of any other reasons why we might have a challenge? Because I can't think of any. I think we've got this one pretty sewn up. Yeah, no, I can't. I just, they're going to be tired, bit of, bit of uh, heavy legs, like you said, from Brisbane. 
Um, you know, our finals aspirations again are on the line. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, if maybe it was Matthew Pavlich's last game and he came out and said he was retiring after this, I'd be worried. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I just, I can't see it, to be honest. And uh, I don't know. I, what did you think? Obviously, I didn't miss the review show, but... Did you think it was a high-quality game and we were a little bit unlucky to lose and, you know, we're travelling actually pretty pretty well? We're playing like a top-eight side without being in the top-eight? I think it's a lot like a lot of games that we saw the opposite way when we played the Bulldogs back in the 90s and I guess in the 2000s, actually, um, where they'd be a bit competitive, but we just had to put the foot down and get, get away from us, uh, get away from them. Um, mm. I kind of felt like we were sort of up against it. It was very felt much like a, a David and Goliath game for me. Like we were doing okay and we were trying really, really hard. Um, but the dogs were staying in touch uh, without having to really win the weight of possession or anything. Like that. I mean, I think they might have done all right in possession, but like they didn't. They weren't going as hard as we were. Um, and they did. Yeah. Have, they did what they needed to do to win, which is what the really good sides do. It's what top four sides always do. So I kind of think. We're not a top four side. There's no doubt about that. And as always, I think the gap between those really top sides and then the ones that can maybe scrape into the eight is always pretty huge. And I think that's where we're at is we maybe might scrape into the eight, but really we're kind of, we're in that nowhere land where we're better than the really crap sides, but we're probably not good enough to say that we're a genuine finals contender if we're there. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's a question that could be relevant for this week. Yeah. Um, why why have we lost our psychological advantage in close games over the last couple of years? Is it uh, execution? Is it execution in big moments? Have our big time players disappeared? Look, I don't know. Uh, oh, look, I can't answer that one, Rick. I'm afraid. I don't know because I haven't really no. looked into it all that much. I, f- I feel like we have a lot more close games than we should. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's because most. I think it's because if you look at the most common margin of a game, it's what a one point win or something like that is considered to be the most common margin or something around that mark. Um, and teams just tend to go towards that. So when we play against good sides and we perform badly early, then they're more likely to slack off in the last quarter. And vice versa, sometimes we play against terrible sides and it ends up being relatively close because we sort of slacked off a bit for a part as well. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess a lot of it just comes down to how much we want it. And we know we really wanted it in 2013 and 2014. And I guess we probably just haven't shown that same willingness until, I suppose, the last couple of weeks. We haven't shown that same willingness on a consistent basis to do the chasing you need to do off the ball to make that happen. I think that's probably a large part of mm. it. And we've also seen, I mean, we talked earlier about how Wingard maybe hasn't had quite the same impact. Um, there's a few players in that category. Hartlett hasn't been as impacting as last year. Um, Boak hasn't been as impacting as he was a couple of years ago. Um, Ollie Wines has been playing pretty well. He's sort of, I think he's, I felt like he started a little bit eh, but I think he's coming good again now. Um, and that's a lot of our midfield, you know. <laughs> that's a huge chunk of our midfield. We had, what, Sam Gray and Archie coming out and doing well late last year, and they were both missing for the first part of the season, and Sam Gray's coming a bit better now. Um, Polex in indifferent form, and he's a guy that two years ago we were relying to be a, an absolute 
a linchpin to our forward delivery. Um, mm. And of course, Matthew White's been injured. Uh, our midfield's a lot of a lot of it probably has been poor form. Um, but there's been a couple of other factors in there as well. But we're just all together. The midfield hasn't been. I don't think it's been as intense or as effective as as it was two years ago. And there could be a bunch of reasons for that. But yeah, I guess that's probably the question you ask of the midfield coaches. Yeah, I just feel like we're not stepping up in the big moments, and I, I'm just starting to wonder if 2014 preliminary final has has really jaded some of the players psychologically. You'd hope not, um, but yeah, I uh, I just wonder if uh, I mean there's a bit of a correlation there. So I just wonder if they're they're struggling a little bit since then, and uh, uh. Yeah, it's a bit of a worry. It's a bit of a or are they not training? Enough, you know. I mean, it's public knowledge that Hawthorne trains set plays for key close games. Are we perhaps not paying as much attention to detail in those role playing situations, perhaps, and therefore not executing as well as the, the top teams do? Uh, I think that when you're Hawthorne, you have the opportunity to train for things that other teams don't because you've got the basics of your game working properly, and I think that we still haven't proven that we have that entirely yet. Um, you know, at the moment Hawthorne can do, and Sydney and other really top sides can do a lot of things that lesser teams can't do because they don't have as much effort to, that they don't have to concentrate as much on getting the, the core of their game plan right. Like all their players know the game plan. When they're bringing players in, they know how to introduce them to it and get them fitting in pretty quickly. So they can do that finesse stuff. And I, I think that it would be useful for us to do, but we need to work on just being able to produce in regular games that aren't close, first of all, and get a lot more of them up uh, than, than we currently have. Um, mm. Yeah, they, they've got the luxury of being able to finesse, I guess, in summary. Um, there have been a couple but of comments, think... sorry, on Spreaker. Yep. Um, yep. A couple of people saying the prelim, we did deserve to be there. Um, Mac has been chiming in. He said that some classes, we really did have the right to be that close, such as that prelim or the Walsh showdown. Well, the Carlton game last year uh, was free in 2014 and we piled on the goals late, and that's fair enough. Um, I think that certainly even in 2013, 2014, though, I think we probably had a, a situation where teams would sort of let off because they felt like they had enough of a lead and we kept trying to prove them wrong. Um, mm. And we did prove them wrong a few times, and I guess that put the willies up them and got them a bit worried, but... Yeah, I don't know. A bit, worry, uh, a bit worrying that we can't replicate that anymore. And I guess that little bit of mystique that Port Adelaide had in those good years has sort of vanished a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, look, I guess we'll just quickly move on. We've got a couple other quick little segments to get through. Um, Fringe yep. Horse this week. It's back to John Butcher, which at the start of the year, this sounded like someone we'd be talking about regularly um, based on previous form of being in and out of the side and having a huge bunch of supporters at SANFL level saying he should be in and then people at AFL level saying, no, he's not good enough. But the reality is he's been a bit of a, uh, a lame duck for us. Uh, he hasn't played a game this year. Uh, he's 24 years old. He's doing all right in the Magpies. He's been probably, I suppose, in, you'd have to say he's probably been his most consistent year ever. Um, going from the reports we've had, but he just doesn't look like getting a shot. And Rick, where do you see John Butcher now? Uh, I don't see him on our AFL list. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the year, unfortunately for John, and unfortunately for Port, we roll the dice with a player that was injured, and uh, it hasn't paid off at all. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I saw him with the locker room last year, and he looks like a passionate 
Porto Lay guy for the team. He looks enthusiastic for the players, and he he's probably a great club guy and all that sort of stuff. And it's probably going to burn having to uh, chop him from the list. But I, how long can you keep him on the list for if he's not going to even get a uh, an opportunity? So, um, yeah. do you think another yeah, AFL think... club will give him a shot? Probably someone like Richmond will probably go. Oh, yeah, we can turn him around or something. I mean, wasn't he linked to Richmond originally when we drafted him? Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I might be getting it confused with another player whose dad was linked to oh. Richmond and we drafted him and or wanted to draft him. Or was it Vickery that I might be confusing a little? It might be Vickery, um, and I think that I think that Mafra was the Mafra Tigers, and that's where he played. It might be something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But sure. look, I mean. I don't know. He's a tough one. Has he been... The thing that I don't get from the club's perspective and from John's perspective is how you can be in an AFL's professional footballing system for seven years and for the first four to five years not improve his kicking action and style. Uh. Um, You know, it's... You know, at an elite level, surely we are able to manipulate players' styles in some form. Most other sports can do it. Uh, I don't understand why we haven't been able to do it. Well, look, I mean, I, I guess if you're going to, and this is going to sound like a cop-out, but John Butcher came through the Vic Country system, which every AFL club pays in a special levy to fund, the Victorian under-18s, and... Uh, and you'd have to wonder why it wasn't picked up at junior level, particularly given that John Butcher, like, we had that injury, obviously, where he missed his best possible opportunity to perform and, you know, justify a high draft ranking. But prior to that, that problem must have existed. So why wasn't it addressed then, particularly when he was seen to be a talented 16-year-old? Um, yeah, we didn't do much about it, but why wasn't it dealt with already, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah. Those are the things that are there. I mean, when you're when you're correcting the kicking action of an AFL player, I mean, you I don't know, like, how often does that really get fixed? You know, it's challenging. I think I think it he is was just rated, He was rated just such a good mark. I think that people were just willing to overlook it, and I think that's where we were at. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we had to roll the dice with a forward, didn't we? But like you banged on, we probably needed a few more forwards. Um, yeah, instead yeah. of just relying on John Butcher. Yes, and that's to... pro- that, Yeah, and that's probably where our mistake's been. Uh, I think Macca pointed out, or was it you, that we did recruit more than what we think uh, forward-wise, but uh, we just haven't been able to rinse and repeat until we hit that golden nugget. And, uh, well, yeah, so we hence we've recruited... traded in... We haven't recruited hey? smart. We haven't recruited smart, so we haven't recruited forwards in the drafts when there were, you know, good numbers of key position players, for example... Um, you know, yeah. we, draft, we drafted flankers in them. You know, two thousand and nine when we drafted John Butcher, um, we kept. You know, it's easy to point back and say at the time, but it was pretty obvious then too. Like we could have got Talia as a backman. We could have got Jake Carlisle as much as he's in a bit of shit right now. Um, we could have got him on the list uh, the following year. We could have got Jack Darling as a player instead of uh, Ben Jacobs. Um, we've had opportunities, but we just haven't been willing to take the risk because, for the most part, those players that we had a crack at, maybe they had a slight thing. Jack Darling, for example, there were the behaviour queries over him, and we just weren't willing to take the punt on key position forwards with good picks. But the reality is all the good key position forwards, they are picked early. 
And it's easy to say mm. the best ones are usually in the top five, but then maybe we should be trying to get a top five pick, you know? Like maybe we need to yeah. do what we need to do to get a shot at those players. So, I don't know. I mean, Nan, Nan Kervis is another one. I remember he was late in the draft and yeah. he's become a, a serviceable, serviceable young Rutman for Sydney, you know, but we didn't even entertain looking at someone like that, which I, I find really weird. Um, yeah, I mean, the list can go on with hindsight, oh, yeah. but... Hopefully, uh, hopefully we correct it this year. But yeah, unfortunately for John, um, I can't see him going forward anymore. What about yourself? Do you, you think it's all over Red Rover? Yeah, I think so. Uh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, even if we just look at later in the draft, I mean, someone like Brent, Ben Brown at the Kangaroos, like I think he was exactly the sort of player that would have fitted in really well with us um, in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, he's, he can muck a bit, but more importantly, he's a good tall forward option. If he was in our side right now, we'd be looking pretty sweet. Um Mm. And he was he was number forty seven in two thousand thirteen. Um, he's come on pretty quick, so you know there's always there are players out there, but we I just feel with these sorts of players you need to take a lot of picks and then expect them to go wrong. Because if you look at Hawthorne, we say oh they've got pretty good tools, and they have, but they drafted so many, they drafted so many um, that didn't work out. Uh, you know Mitch Thorpe, um, Clint Clark's another one from memory, if it's his surname. Uh, this, oh, but it, they've been able to draft so many tolls because they develop their midfielders and flankers so well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so why aren't we so doing that? Those mid- <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, do we have to look? Does the club have to look at the development of the players? I mean, I, like I said, and I mentioned it previously with Macca, um, you know, <laughs> Once upon a time, we used to have our halfback. We'd start our mids as flankers and had worked their way into the midfield, mm. and now it seems to be our flankers are flankers, and we can't seem to get them to evolve into more permanent um, uh, midfielders, and and that's sort yeah. of the nurturing ground for these young players to evolve and come through, and and that, that's not happening. It and, is, but it's uh, also a selection issue. Like, if we're drafting flankers, you've got to expect that 90% of the time they're flankers, right? Um, yeah, but Hamish Hartler was a midfielder. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's easy and for Matthew, players to Matthew go the Corbett. other way. Yeah. Midfielders can become flankers all the time, but flankers becoming midfielders is pretty rare. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it is generally And Matthew rare. Broadbent was a, a midfielder as was well he? by trade. I don't remember that. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure. I reckon he was always a, a flanker type, pretty sure. Uh, Macker, if you're listening, you'll know the answer. Tell us. I'm pretty sure uh, Brody <laughs> was a, a midfielder at, at SANFL level. Yeah, but, well, Macker uh, Mac- Mac- has got one, and Dylan's joined in there. Um, Macker Mac- said, don't start on Ben Brown. Dylan said he was one pick after Mitch Harvey. And Craig, uh, sorry, Macker said, let's draft a fat kid from North Adelaide because he had some link to Matt Rendell, which, yeah, fair enough. Um. <laughs> what, what, did the, what did the link with Matt Rendell actually have to do with us um, uh, drafting uh, Mitch Harvey? Were we hoping that Rendell would come to Port Adelaide or something? I don't know. Uh, Mac has also chimed in and said Brody was a flanker, so he agrees with me. And you're wrong, Mac. You're wrong, Rick. You're wrong. No, Mac is full of poo. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Hey, hey, you choose. You, you chose the neutral judge and you sided with me, so just deal with the outcome. That's where we're at. Hey, he always sides with you. I feel like I'm always picked on between the two. I'm there. All, right. All right, well, look, we'll just quickly go through a couple of questions that were asked in the um, Spreaker forum that we didn't get around to at the time um, because someone kept diverting us. Uh, let's see. Quickly. Who was that? 
here's one from Ben Jennings. Would you? This is one for you, Rick. I guess. Would you rather fight one Jake Need size Charlie Dixon or ten Charlie Dixon size Jake Needs? That's why you're on. I don't even want to contemplate that question because I wouldn't even be able to say it. And I, I've okay. tried. Uh, I've obvi- next... Obviously, he's obviously he's seen my outtake video. Okay. Uh, Paul Valutis has asked, "When's Rick buying a McLaren? Is that does that is that imminent?" Oh my god, that is such a cool car. It's <laughs> um, it is the most awesome car, and I I don't know how practical that car would be in Adelaide. Um, and uh, oh my god, I I would lose my license within uh, a day if I had that <laughs> McLaren. But uh, I'm ho- I hope you liked the video. It was an amazing vehicle. So much power, so light. Um, yeah, it was a, an awesome experience. Sounds good. Uh, a question from Matthew Sullivan. Do you feel Pittard is getting enough media credit and is realistically on the radar for an All-Australian nomination? Uh, well, I think that's a question for both of us. I think, he, yeah. I think he's had a lot of media credit. I think, he, I think the performances of the team... Have probably uh, dropped a little bit um, uh, the last um, couple of weeks, but I mean he's been our most consistent performer all Australian. I reckon with our team's performance overall, I think he might fall in the pecking order compared to the top eight sides. But I think he would be very, very close um, for best and fairest with the footy club. I would imagine. Yeah, look, I think he's probably got best and fairest sewn up. Um, I got, a, I guess, a little bit of concern as far as the All-Australian thing in that you do hear a lot about Pittard. But if you really pay attention, we're pretty much only hearing about Pittard when the discussion is on Port Adelaide. Uh, and for All-Australian players, like they'll get thrown into any conversation. Like How many times has Cyril Rioli been mentioned in a game that doesn't involve Hawthorne or Matthew Pavlich in a game that doesn't involve Freo? Like these guys, or Chad Wingard in a game that doesn't involve Port Adelaide. Um, these are the guys that get mentioned because they are rated so highly. And the fact that Pittard's only mentioned pretty much uh, when Port Adelaide are discussed, I think might have an impact on whether he's actually selected. It shouldn't because he's been fantastic. But I think his profile can certainly improve from here. Um, Hopefully he'll become national and not just a Port Adelaide player, if you see what I mean. Yeah, but I guess it's, you know, the drill. I mean, South Australian club not making finals. Chances of a player getting recognised are near impossible, I would imagine. He is Victorian, though. That usually is a bit of a bonus. Yeah, I still think they'll neglect us for, you know, like a Heath Shaw or or something like that. They'll, uh, you know, they'll go for the name, the name player that's made made the eight or something. But we all know that Pittard is the best player in the AFL and should have two Brownlow medals to his name. And it's only a matter of time, but... As we know, that Amon will probably take him over in the next year as the best player in the competition. So watch that name. Yeah, well, um, I did mention in the review, which uh, I don't know if you heard it or not, but I did say that Pittard was likely our next captain. How do you feel about that one? My God, that is amazing. <laughs> I love that call. He would be an awesome cat- captain. I saw he was... Uh, on the replay that he was giving Pollock a spray um, when Stringer was just doing whatever he pleased. So that's captain material. Um, I still like Jacko as a captain. Yeah. I think he speaks well. He's professional. He loves the club, uh, bleeds for the club. Uh, I, yeah, look, Jasper or Jacko would too, be two great captains, that's for sure. 
Yeah, uh, look, I, I think the main reason I probably favour Pittard is because he just doesn't have deficiencies in his game these days. Like when you're looking, can you just say that again? He doesn't have. I'll say it again. He doesn't have deficiencies in his game these days. Um, you know, <sighs> and really, his instinct has been on the whole time. He's always been his execution that's been questionable, but his instinct and his mm. awareness has always been very good. Um, mm. And I think that's certainly useful because if you look at the captain being a template for your side, um, you want your captain to always be someone that you can be count on to be doing the right team things, to be doing the smart things uh, every opportunity. And that's absolutely the way Pittard's sort of risen to this position that we all rate him quite highly. Um, the fact that he he's, seems to know what he's doing and he can be very much... I mean, I feel like Pittard can be pretty inspirational when he gets the ball and goes down the centre corridor. Um, he certainly can do pick-me-up uh, deliveries going forward. So, uh, I don't know, maybe if he consistently keeps doing that, he might be in line. Maybe, if not next year, maybe the year after. Who knows? Do you think maybe they're, they're holding time to bring the chat in as captain? Uh, look, I don't know. There's always a bit of a reluctance to bring in forwards as captains at clubs, I think. Um, it, there's not too many of them. Um, and if there are, they don't but necessarily Chad- last that long. Chad's going to be a midfielder eventually, isn't he? Surely. Yeah, but when he becomes a midfielder, then they might start talking about that. But until then, um, again, just getting back to sort of that idea of inspiring play, like it's hard to have inspiring players afford when the ball's not in your area. So he does probably need to move to midfield to be considered, I would say. Mm. Well, I hope, I hope to see Chad more in the midfield as the season goes on. I think it's time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree, and hopefully we will. Um, we just yes. did have a couple of quick comments. Um, Macca says that Pittard will be uh, All-Australian for sure. Dylan says some midfielder will get put on the flank, and I, I actually agree. I think that will probably be what happens. Some midfielder they couldn't justify realistically having in the side this year, but they're like, oh, we've got to keep him in because he's a good bloke. Uh, so can only Codge or someone like that getting it. Um, and uh, Bomber Clifford said Univision is proudly sponsored by Jackson Trengove, so that's a bit of a funny one. Uh, and, um, <laughs> He's such a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Meletius. And Meletius Lucarisus uh, needs an, he uh, reckons that Pitta needs another season to back up his form before that's put into question. I think, which is probably fair. Um, look, we'll just quickly go through the Magpies game because I don't have a lot to say on it and I'm guessing you might not unless you're going. Um, this week we're playing against South Adelaide and Norlunga. Uh, it's uh, Saturday at 1.10pm. South are currently third on the ladder, Porter eighth. Uh, we've got Jay Schultz back in the side, which is exciting. Uh, we've got Polek in, obviously, because he's been dropped. Uh, and if you look at the side on paper, it actually looks pretty strong. Um, Butcher, and Sh- as much as we talked about how Butcher maybe doesn't have a lot coming... Uh, uh, as an AFL player, certainly at a SNFL level, he could very easily play for another 10 years, potentially. Who knows? Um, so Butcher, Schultz and Pollock all named in our forward line. Uh, Archie's still in the middle. Um, Tupus on the wing. Uh, and really, it looks pretty solid and like maybe might be able to get a win. I don't know. Had, do you have any... Have you been following the Magpies at all or when you were here or Look, are you going to the game? I am... I'm very passionate about the Magpies. Okay. Uh, with our one... With our one club umbrella, because um, I know that's what Timmy G would want me to say, but I I really have not much idea at all, okay. unfortunately. But I, I hope that uh, I hope we win, and I hope our AFL players have a uh, a great game. I'm really keen to see Schultz. I hope hope he can come in and and kick five or six and propel the Maggies to a win, and um, yeah, and onwards onwards to victory for us. But yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, from a selfish yeah. NFL perspective, I'll just be happy if Jay Shorts comes in and leads and kicks and does all right and doesn't get hurt at all. That'll be nice. Um, well, and I hope Poli comes yeah. in and has a good game. Yeah, and I we, hope, uh, hope we, he has a good better, game both ways. Yeah, we're better. Yeah, we're better with Jared in the side. Mm. And I wonder if it's just, is it still a confidence issue with his foot or is he just rusty and, you know, is it, I don't know. It's, like I said at the start of the show, you know, I've gone away for six weeks and the same questions are still there from when I left. And yeah. Um, yeah. which is a bit disappointing because they're the same questions as um, what we had uh, last year. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah. But more importantly, I, I drove six cars that day. So if it was Paul that asked that question, I can post the uh, I can post the other cars that I, I drove up on on the <laughs> Facebook page as well, if you like. And, uh, and you can see you can see the comparison in the in the speeds. But, yeah, uh, it was Paul. So I could, um, you should do that. I could talk about the exotic cards for ages. It was such please an awesome don't, experience. Please don't. We're probably a little over time oh, now. Um, oh my god, it was just so awesome. And helicopter flight over the Grand Canyon is amazing. Oh, that would be good. Oh wow. It, that that is amazing, and it actually dropped us. Um, we we sat in a table at the bottom of the Grand Canyon for about an hour and had a picnic down there. And um, you look at this natural wonder that is so old, it just makes you realise how insignificant our lives are. We're just a little blip on the planet radar and it's just it's the most amazing natural wonder I've seen so far. Fair enough. All right, look, we're going to yeah. move into the wrap-up stage, but just I'll quickly pass on Ben Jennings' comment, which is he said, geez, I know Ollie's form has been unspectacular, but he's still our next captain unless Boke abdicates prematurely. He might no be. No way. Nah, it's going to be the Chad. It'll oh. be the Chad. Yeah. Anyway, final wrap. Who's your winning side and margin for the game, Rick? And who's the highest goal kicker for Port Adelaide? Port Adelaide by 57 points, and <laughs> oof, oof, like I'm going to go the Chad for five goals. Oh, really? I think that'd be largest, be his largest haul against them. Dad for five. Yep. Wow. All right. Um, I'm also going to tip a Port Adelaide win, as much as I've been sort of negativing it up and thinking this might be a danger game. I think it's still very much a danger game, but uh, if you're going to pick the most likely result, you'd have to say it's going to be a resounding Port Adelaide win. Um, and I'm going to, I reckon I'm, your margin's about right, but um, because you picked 57, I'm going to pick 56. Is in the way you do, and that way I'll be closer to the mark. Uh, I think the highest goal kicker for Port Adelaide, I reckon it's going to be Charlie Dixon. I reckon he's going to get back and kick another bag. He did against the last really terrible side we played against. Um, and uh, I would not be surprised if he did that again. I, I just don't rate the matchups on him this week. Um, now, this week, the immediate, um, you need to name one for Port Adelaide who you think is going to be the person that will sort of come out of nowhere and have an immediate impact. Uh, for us. Yeah, and then you'll do one for them. after that. Well, you need to do one of each, so you can do it however you want. Uh, I'm going to go Carl Amon, and um, oh. he's going to be he's going to be the man. He's going to stand up and he's going to blow people away with 25 possessions, and uh, and everyone's going to go Jared who because Carl Amon is going to be the man. And I'm going to go for, um, I don't know, who's this, bud? Zach Dawson to keep Charlie <laughs> Dixon 
um, <gasps> for uh, to two goals. Oh my god, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look, I mean, I actually think that Amon coming in, there is a chance he might get away from them because I don't think he'll be the person they're really all that worried about their impact. Um, and that can be enough in a game like this for him to just sort of rack up the possessions on the outside and be, you know, get his run on and go upfield. So I reckon you might be right with Amon, but I think I might say Sam Gray to return to his Brownlow vote-winning form of last year. Um, he's played all right in bits for the games he's been playing since his return, and hopefully he'll make it to this. He'll be his return to actual full game form. Um, where you can you know really see his impact on the side. So I'll go Sam Gray for mine. And for Fremantle, oh, I guess... Look, always the one that worries me is Hayden Ballantyne. Um, I just feel like we never have a very good match-up for him, um, even when he doesn't do all that well. And I think I'll probably reckon Hayden Ballantyne might pop up and kick three or four um, pretty comfortably. Yeah. 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 Um, and you bet the house, Rick. What's your bet the house? Uh, that um, we'll see Ken Hinckley drinking a can of Coke by himself <laughs> in the commentary box, unsurrounded by his co-workers. Okay. So what, you mean everyone else will leave and he'll be the only one there? No, he'll be isolated from the rest of the coaching. That was Lockhart Road's pet hate the other night. Why does Ken sit by himself? He needs to be sitting... With the team, it's bad body language and bad team dynamics. And I, I can see what he's saying. And, uh, yeah, so I'll go with that one Okay. for Lockhart Road. That's fair enough. Um, all right, I reckon that Jasper Pittard's going to crack 30 disposals and get... Uh, yeah, but that's, two... not, that's not... Re- live on the edge. That's not... And, and the maybe edge. get... Just... Okay. I reckon, the way I'm saying it though, I reckon he'll get that is because I think he'll play much more in midfield than he does in defence. I think he'll probably be in that role where he occasionally gets a shot at goal. I might, he might get a goal this week. Let's say I'll go 30 disposals and a goal. How does that sound, Rick? Does that sound fair enough? Yep. Okay, that's mine. Good. All right. Well, look, um, we're ready to wrap up. Uh Thank you for coming back, Rick. Welcome back. Um, oh, it's yes, been a pleasure. I've loved yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And um, I guess we'll be able to listen to you and Macca do the review on Monday. Um, yes. I'm, I'm intending to take next week off for the buy. So if you guys want to show, you're doing it. I'm not. Um, so I will speak to listeners in two weeks' time. But you'll hear Rick and Macca. And I'll just do a quick shout out to my uh, EMP crew. I'm sure none of them are listening, but you never know. Um, thanks for the great time in Boston. And we, we studied and learned a lot. And uh had an awesome time, and thanks for everyone that's been uh, following my journey. It's been uh, it's been a good good experience, and uh, I'll post the rest of the cars up for everybody. Rock on, you ripper! All right. Well, one thing have, to say, and that's can ports. Butcher, <laughs> go for Adelaide. The butch, go the butch. Oh dear, it's not too late, Butchie. It's not too late. He ignores it. He goes long to Ebert. Bouncing ball. Back of the pack. Stuart Jew. Box back there. Needs to rush it. Jew off the deck. The Jew kick. The ball. The ball back.